Welcome to War Games. We will get you ready for your next sales opportunity. Are you looking to win the sales battle? You have joined the right team. Here on the War Games Group, we take the strategies and mindsets from the most successful salespeople and share it with you. With our help, you won't have to fail your way to the top. When it comes to crossing the minefield of sales, step in the footprints of those that crossed before you. Prepare yourself for boot camp and beyond. It's time for War Games to begin. Shall we play a game? War Gamers, welcome to War Games Group this Wednesday. We are fired up and we are excited. I'm going to throw some VIPs on the screen with me. The Colonel is back in the house. Natalie Esman has joined us as well. Let's flip this around. There you go, guys. So, uh, guys, I'm really excited today because I got connected to somebody through that magical social media thing we call uh, LinkedIn. And uh, that's where all of these uh, these people that actually have money, these people that own businesses, these people that actually are professionals are all hanging out together on LinkedIn. And so I came across this gentleman, Andy Paul. So for those of you that don't know Andy Paul, I'm going to bring him in, in just a second. But Andy has over four decades of selling, started with selling women's shoes. And, you know, for me, I'm the one going, if you could sell women's shoes, you have a career, right? You can go forward selling just about anything. But he went from selling shoes to selling complex communication systems with price tags in the millions. So he's gone through his life and learned that there's a certain way of selling that may not be the way everybody else teaches you how to sell. And that, you guys know, that makes him the perfect guest for being on War Games. And he's got hundreds of millions of dollars under his belt of sales, went into his own business where he now consults and helps and teaches people how to sell. And he's going to share with us today on how to not be so salesy. So, Andy, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. My pleasure. My pleasure. Let me do this. Andy, switch with me because we want you to be up there like that. Oh, okay. Hey, Thanks. We've got uh, we've got a lot of people joining us. We already got some some uh, comments coming in. Look, Debbie's excited you're here. Ken Thank Walls you, is here. So we like Ken Walls. Yes. Then Tom <laughs> Foster, to be. he wants me to become governor, evidently. Yes. And so uh, Ron Siegel likes to point out that I pay him to be here. Yes. I actually pay him not to be here, but he's still here. I don't get it. So, but uh, let's go, let's jump in. So let's talk a little sure. bit, Andy, about, you know, how screwed up is sales in the world today? <laughs> uh, gosh, we're going to start there, are we? <laughs> Well, that was that. Quite frankly, that was the motivation for me to write this this latest book of mine. Uh, you mind if I show it on screen? No, please, please. Sell without for those of you that are only going to stay for two minutes and go. Oh my gosh, Andy's. Great. You've got Andy's the important part. Back. Yeah, there's the link. Go get his book and learn how to not be so salesy, and you can actually learn how to sell too. You already yeah, know you can, how to sell. You're here, but you can go on Amazon wherever you buy books. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah, the motivation for writing the book really started with this idea that despite all of the advantages of technology that we've had that's come into sales and marketing over the last 10, 15, 20 years, that we're actually not 
any better at it than we were then before the technology came in. In fact, arguably based on some, you know, sort of data points we see from industry reports from firms like Forrester and CSO Insights and so on that talk about how few sellers actually hit their quotas these days and win rates are dropping and close rates are dropping. And it's like, why is that? So I really wanted to dive into what I thought was really sort of the root causes that were driving us. Andy, Andy, Jason already bought your book. Look at oh, the there you go. Thank you, Jason. Jason's already done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Action-oriented individual, clearly. So, um, so as I was analyzing it, and based on my experience, experience of many others, uh, yeah, I've over the last seven years, I've talked to a thousand experts on my my own podcast and um, really came to the conclusion that that really the problems that exist today are the same problems that have existed for quite some time. It's just that we've actually amplified them with the use of the technology uh, and accentuated to some degree and a negative degree that the way that our buyers experience us has actually I said, degraded over time to the point where uh, Gartner and other research firms or analysts are saying, look, you know, in a recent survey Gartner did last year, 80% of business to business buyers said, we'd prefer to just go through this whole buying thing without a salesperson. Wow. And I don't think that's actually the case. I think what the buyer was actually saying was, if the seller can't help me accomplish this job that I set out to do to make a decision, if they can't help me to do that, then yeah, I don't have time for them. I don't, I can't afford to give them any of my time and attention. I might as well do it on my own. Right. So it's at heart. What we're really talking about is that how the buyer experiences you as a seller, because what's happened in so many industries, and we'll just take software as, as one example is there's so much competition that the actual differences between products and the perceived differences between products are razor thin these days, right? I mean, example is, I don't know if anybody that's on the call, uh, maybe has invested in, let's say, conversational intelligence software. So you can record phone calls and analyze them with AI and, and try to pull out what's the good parts and the bad parts. Well, two years ago, there was maybe a dozen vendors selling products like that. Now it's close to 40. And so if you're a buyer, how do you, how do you differentiate which one you should buy from? How do you make that decision? Well, what turns out is research has shown is that what buyers do is they make the decision based on their experience with the individual salesperson. That that actually becomes in the challenger sale written by folks from Gartner talk about that actually it's 53% of the buyer's decision is based on their individual, their experience with the individual salesperson. So you as a seller become the difference. Absolutely. And so if we're not- People buy from people. Yeah. Well, there's lots of people that would like to believe that's not the case. Right. You know, the people that think that the technology is the answer, but it still is people, right? And yeah. that's this is sort of the conclusion I came to is, look, we're, we are doing things the way that they've been done forever. And rather than taking- advantage of the technologies that have come into the space to reset how we engage with buyers. I said, we're just doing the same things I learned. Well, how'd you say? Four decades ago. Four decades uh, ago. Thank you. Yeah. Keeping it vague like that. Um, but I learned then. And we're just not really doing it 
any differently and we're certainly not doing it better. So what I do in the book is I, I set out sort of two ways that we sort of sell, I call it selling out and selling in. And you can sort of imagine it like at the polar opposite ends of a spectrum, right? Because we're all a mix of, of, of the characteristics of one or the other. But what's selling out We'll start there. So selling out is when sellers put their own interests before those of the buyer. Okay. Now that's pretty classic in sales because we train salespeople that their job is to go out and persuade the buyer to buy their product. Well, if that's the case, really understanding what's important to the buyer, their needs, their concerns almost become secondary because your job is to go persuade them despite what their concerns are and the requirements are, your job is to persuade them to buy your product. Well, that's problematic in many degrees because not the least of which is research has shown, uh, this was in a book called The Catalyst written by Jonah Berger, a professor at Wharton, published uh, in 2020, said, well, yes, yeah, studies have shown that as human beings, we universally resist being persuaded They've got a term for it. They're called persuasion reactants. <laughs> and so, as I like to say somewhat facetiously, well, then, of course, it makes sense that we spend, in the United States, $15 billion a year training salespeople to do the one thing that buyers resist. <laughs> so, <laughs> where's the sense in that? Right. So, it makes none. Yeah. It makes none. So, your job as a seller isn't to persuade the buyer to buy your product. Your job is to listen to your buyer, understand the things that are most important to them relative to the challenges they face and the outcomes they want to achieve by addressing those challenges, and then help them get that. So you just compare and contrast that, right? It's, oh, my job is to persuade you. Oh, my job is to listen to you and help you get what's important to you. You know, Zig Ziglar has an expression that I quote that I paraphrase in the book, which is, you know, you'll get everything you want out of life if you help enough other people get what they want out of life. And that's your job as a seller. So, and it's okay, and I talk about this in the book, it's okay to be, have the agendas you want to succeed, but I'm only going to succeed if I help you succeed first. So, Absolutely. what happens is when you sell out, when you put your own interests ahead of those, the buyers, then you start gravitating into these classically salesy behaviors, right? You'd use the word salesy introduction, you know, things that have built this negative image of salespeople in the minds of so many people, right? Pushy, manipulative, untrustworthy, somewhat ethically challenged, uh, persuasion-driven behaviors that buyers find no value in. And if buyers find no value in those behaviors, why are, why are we as sellers doing them? Because they have no value for us. And I and talk about truthfully, truthfully, when we're the buyer, we don't appreciate it. No, exactly. Right? Right. Yeah. So we sit back just like them going, oh, that was cheesy. Oh, right. that was wrong. Oh, that good, good assumptive close. Yeah. We've, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've all experienced that. And so, yeah, I start off the book telling the story about my first job out of college, selling for what the time was the second largest computer company in the world, and being sent for two weeks to Pasadena at our training center to learn how sales. And, and my reaction was actually the, the title of the chapter, which is, 
what human being acts this way, right? As a result of seeing all these video training videos and so on, it's like, I can't do that. I won't do that. And that sort of started me on this path of saying, there's got to be a better way, which I've been developing and embarking on this path and this journey my entire career. And I think sort of the best way to sort of sum that up, you know, about these salesy behaviors is, is think about it, is, is what's one question a buyer will never ask you? And that one question is, you know, hey, Joe, we like your product. We think we want to buy your product, but I've got a problem. The problem is you're just not salesy enough. Could you be more salesy? <laughs> right? Is there anyone in the history of the world that's ever said that? And But this is what we double down on. Yeah, you know, I've had some feedback, I mean, from sales leaders, for instance, that have read the book and they go, oh, we love the book. But I said, yeah, well, I've got a number to hit. I said, oh, so what you're telling me is that in order to hit your goal, you have to engage in bad sales behavior. <laughs> it just sort of sits silent there for a second. Yeah. But there's sort of this belief is that, you know, I got to act shitty if I want to hit my goal. Right. And, and it's so contrary to logic and it's not helping them. Not at all. And so where this comes from, I don't know. Yeah, I had a sort of fascinating conversation last week with a woman named uh, Dawn Dieter Schmelz. I don't know if anyone on the call knows her. And Dawn is, runs uh, the sales program at Kansas State University. So they were one of the first universities to give people uh, bachelor's of science degrees in selling. Wow. And so they run a program called the National Strategic Selling Institute. They're doing a great job. And, but she was telling the story. She's, because we were talking about this issue about, people being salesy and, and where does it come from? Because it's, it's learned behavior, right? It's not natural behavior. And she said, when she teaches her freshman class, introduction to professional selling, they do role plays. And these kids have no sales experience for the most part, no sales background. And <laughs> when they do role plays, the kids all default to being super salesy. And so it's like movies. I've seen yeah, the movies and the yeah. TV shows or something, right? That's that's yeah. out there. So I believe that we could draw a line in the sand and say today, look, if you're in sales and you are salesy in the least, which is virtually all of them, to some degree or another, but is yeah. that you could go cold turkey today on salesy. And you wouldn't be any worse off for it. 100%. And if that's the case, if we're carrying these behaviors around that have no value to us, we can shed them pretty easily. So, so what how does on the book, one get there? How does one get to the point of going, because half of them, okay, so my, my thing is, I say, sales is only a numbers game until you become educated. Right. And they're mm -hmm. doing the numbers thing where they're going, if I stay the same and I just say, throw more leads in the hopper, if I want more sales, because I'm exactly. not converting anything any better, but. Uh, yeah, you've, you've, <laughs> you've read my book. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. What happened is that sales today in many industries has become not selling. It's about really playing the odds. 
it's to the point you said exactly, which is I'm going to be mediocre at actually selling, mm-hmm. but I know if I close 10% or 15% of my most qualified opportunities, as long as I get the deal flow going, I can hit my number. Right. But think about the costs you have to invest to generate the activity at the top of the funnel would be a lot less expensive to be able to coach your sellers to convert more of the opportunities that you have. Yeah. Don't the, buy more leads, convert more on the ones you've already got. Exactly. There. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So this part of the recipe seems to elude a lot of sales leaders. Um, and so what this sort of plays into the book as well, because the subtitles of the book is a guide to success on your own terms. And the single biggest response we've got on the book is sellers saying, thank God. It's like they're being given permission to sell in a way that's aligned with who they are as human beings, instead of just purely being focused on the numbers. And with this advent of technology is too many inexperienced sales leaders is rather than being given the appropriate coaching and management and enablement that they do is we just, we tell them in general, well, use the technology to manage your team. And it's all numbers-based, activity-based, rather than quality-based or effectiveness-based. Yeah, and I, I see a lot of them too. The, the goal is have my AI or somebody less than to filter the leads out and see if someone will snap and buy ahead of time. Like mm-hmm. uh, Amazon puts up the, do you want this extended warranty on whatever electronic product you buy? Right. And they're getting more than 50% of the people going, yes. Okay. And then everybody else thinks, oh, that's how I can sell my product is just by putting the choice up there for them and they'll take it. And yeah. you're like, they're already Come on more. an online platform that they already experienced. They know, like, and trust. And then you offer that half of them are clicking because they didn't even read it and didn't realize you charged them $4. Your price point is at the same as a checkout lane, right? And it's like pack of gum or extended warranty for a year. And right. so to them, they're going click and go through. But I see so many people fighting that and going, it could work with my, my software. It's the business and my software. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't in the way if you have any sort of complexity in the product because you think about why why do buyers want to talk to salespeople because I believe they do right if you can help them make their decision right and what does that involve well what's buyer what are buyers looking for from sellers they're looking for a different perspective a different point of view it's telling them something they don't already know or asking them questions that for, causes them to think about something differently than they were thinking about it. Absolutely. That's, that's what they, that's what the moral seller. So at heart, you know, people listening to this is think about this is at the heart of every buying transaction or sales transaction, there's a bargain that's struck between the buyer and the seller. What the buyer says, look, I'm going to invest my time and attention in you. This limited commodity, precious commodity to have. I'm going to invest my time and attention in you. I need a return on that investment. Absolutely. So if I don't get a return on that time and investment, you don't get any more time. And it's pretty simple. So if you have multiple instances where you're not being intentional about helping the buyer make progress toward making a decision, you're not adding value, you're not going to get their time. 
Absolutely. And this is with that is, you know, what, what gives buyers return? And I described this in the book, I, you know, the word value gets so overused in sales is what I want to do is make it really clear to people what value is in the mind of a buyer. Value means progress. Meaning as a result of this interaction with you, I am now closer to making my decision than I was before the interaction. It's that simple. So every right. time you interact with a buyer, it doesn't matter whether it's an email or voicemail, a phone call, Zoom meeting, in-person meeting, you have that requirement. They have to be closer to making a decision after that interaction than they were before. Otherwise, why did they do it? Otherwise, why did you do it? True. Otherwise, so, you're just talking to somebody else for however long you're going to talk to them, and then they leave right. in the same capacity they were before. <laughs> right. So being successful in sales really requires being intentional. More than anything else, being intentional, because you understand this bargain and this requirement for you to provide this ROI on the customer's, re I call it the return on time and attention, ROTA, provide this return on time and attention is paramount. So what I describe in the book is the opposite of selling out is selling in. And it's based on four core human attributes that we all possess, innate human behaviors. And it's connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. Now, whereas the sales behaviors are learned, hey, we're, we're all wired to connect. We're born when you connect, right? We, are, we evolved out of tribal, tribal beings. Um, and it's through our ability to connect with someone that we're able to build a level of trust, which is so essential in selling. You know, if we haven't established some common ground, some common bound, if we haven't shown that we're interested in the person, right? Sincerely interested, authentically interested, you know, we're not making ourselves interesting to them. And if we're not interesting to them, then we're never gonna be able to build that level of trust that's required. So yeah, just basic rule for people. If you wanna make yourself interesting, <laughs> Be interested in somebody else. Yeah, right? be interested in them. In them. And that's how it all starts. So when we talk about trust and sales, so as part of this connection pillar of selling, is why is trust so important? And people think it's about the trust of, well, do I trust you to spend my money with you? And it's like, sure, there's an aspect of that, but it really starts before that, which is buyers, you have to earn the right through trust for buyers to fully and completely give you permission to stick your nose into their business. And if they don't get permission, if you don't get the permission to stick your nose into their business, then you're just going to get superficial answers to the questions you ask. And you'll never really fully understand what's most important to them. So trust then becomes very important. In the book, I have a for an acronym for how you build trust, four steps. The acronym is MICE, M-I-C-E. Are your motivations transparent to the buyer? Do your action, I is integrity. So M is motivations, I is integrity. Do your actions align with your words? C is do you have credibility? E is execution. Can you live up to your commitments? And think about how salespeople destroy trust Every month. Yeah. So a salesperson goes in, beginning of the month, good prospect. We're here to help. I really want to understand what's important to you. Da, 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 da. Last week of the month, sales manager says, go close that deal. 
do whatever it takes to close the deal. So you show up at the buyer's office and do the equivalent of what's it going to take to get you in the car this month? <laughs> right? Yep. And so what's happened is the buyer says, whoa, this person's purely transactional. They're not really here to help me. They're just right. purely transactional. And this happens every month, right? Yeah. Every single month across the spectrum. We send our salespeople, build trust, and then sales manager says, yeah, make, make sure you close that deal. So if you can, you have to, as a salesperson and as a sales leader, you have to take responsibility for not doing that because you don't need to do that. If you plan what you're doing and you act in accordance with what I talk about in the book, you can be actually get faster decisions out of your buyers. And I'll get to that in just a second. So connection, you have curiosity. Wired when we're born as infants. How do we navigate this brand new world around us? This is our curiosity. Any new situation we fall into as a human being is we use our curiosity to help navigate that. It's true with all buyers as well. Because if we don't use to deploy our curiosity, then we're never going to get this level of, of understanding. So in the book, that's questions that you can deploy to help yourself uncover these things that are most important to the buyer and who they're most important to. Fantastic. So um, when I look at this and this, this hit me while you were talking that, so, and again, it is sales managers <laughs> end of the month, right? Mm. Go and take care of it. So we've built all of our steps up. Sales management comes in and goes, go make it a deal. Right. And so with the clients I work with, I tell them, if you're going to take this deal on the 30th, or the 31st of a month, why aren't you taking it on the second or the third? Absolutely. And we still have a relationship with the person. Because right. the desperation that comes in when you send that salesperson in and they come to you with the, what's it going to take to make a deal, right? So as soon as you make it, and your words were purely transactional, right? They became mm -hmm. transactional. As soon as you take it and make it purely transactional, it means it's a transaction for the buyer as well. Absolutely. So now the answer is, how low can I go on your price? Well, not only how low can I go on your price, but once I've got that, we don't really have the relationship. So next year when the contract's up, we'll go to the next yeah. person. We'll churn, right. right? Absolutely. So yeah, it's not like buyers don't take advantage of it. I, a perspective for people to think about is, is okay, why do sales managers get into this, this position? You know, and why are they so frantic about it? And I, I say it's it's a matter of surplus. See, there's a there's a surplus of unmet quota, right? right. So think about like a retail. <laughs> On their shelves, they've got unmet quota. And what do you do when you have unsold product on the shelves at the end of a month? Discount. Discount. Well, it's the Fire same thing. In, same thing in business to business sales. Right. No. So I agree completely. So one other word I think is overused in sales nowadays is algorithm. We don't know what it means, but we're going to say it a bunch of times. Even we're going to say it a bunch of times. Well, yeah. it's a way of disclaiming responsibility for something. Well, it's not me. It's the algorithm. The algorithm oh, okay. does it. We have an algorithm that, and they think yeah. it's like Bill two doors down yeah. in the IT department. His nickname is algorithm. <laughs> well, so and what they need to have an algorithm for is to your point about discounting is, I mean, I love that you brought that up because I've had that conversation. I was at an event a couple of years ago where I was sort of the roaming expert where they had, 
I don't know, 10 tables of sales leaders talking and I was sort of, they had table topics they were talking about. And so I was going from table to table and one of the table topics was end of period discounting. You know, do you do it? And as long as, and as well as they're talking about, you know, do they give spiffs to their sellers to close deals? Ineffective discount, right? Same thing. Right. And so I posed the question to the table. I said, so who's ever calculated an ROI on that spiff or that discount? To your point, no was it what you earn that was making it worth bringing it in three days early and trashing your relationship with your buyer? Yep. <laughs> and it's like blank stares, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, it just Ron doesn't, doesn't know what algorithm means either. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but no, and that's true because again, you're giving up the future relationship repeat buys and then what I also call the bumps, which yeah. is when they go, what else do you have? Because exactly. you over delivered at this point in time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, all right. So moving on from connection then to, to understanding. Now, one of the problems that exists with the way discovery is conducted in most sellers these days is they're given playbooks Playbooks have sort of a list of questions that, you know, they can use or, <clears throat> excuse me, they can do their own version of, but the net effect is that most sellers end up sort of doing sort of rote questioning of the buyer. And so what they have, it's like survey taking, right? Checking the boxes. Right. And so what they have at that point is they have information, but they have no understanding of what the context is for that information, how it's important to the buyer and why it's important to the buyer. Right. And the thing is, most sellers stop at that point. But you really don't know at that point yet what the target is. You think you know what the target is because you're there trying to persuade them to buy your product. But until you get to that level of understanding what's really the most important things to them, you don't know what that target is. Now, the reason this target is important is because, well, I'll talk about the coming up in generosity. But it, it, it's the way you, you create a vision of what success looks like for the product, right? I mean, think about when, when a customer makes a decision to purchase from you, what are they buying? They're not buying your product. No. They're not buying your service. They're buying the vision of what the product and service will do for them and the vision right. of what success looks like using your product and service. Right. The desired outcome that they had. And if you were smart enough to get it out of them in the beginning. But they, right. Yeah. But they have to visualize what that is. And that's right. part of what you Absolutely. do is you help them visualize what that is because it makes it a little more real. Right. You help them take mental test drives of your product and service. But that's something you you co-create with the buyer. That's a story you create with them. Well, you can't identify what the, the target should be for the vision of success if you haven't reached this level of understanding what's most important to them. And my experience has been over, again, four decades, um, is that of deals of all sizes in the business-to-business -business space is that there is always one thing that's more important than all the others to the buyer. And if you know what that is, then you can help them create that vision of success that will differentiate you from the competition. Absolutely. And yeah, I remember learning this the hard way early in my career. Well, actually, it wasn't totally hard, but I was, I was my first job at school selling computers to the construction industry. And there's one construction firm that purchased a pretty big system, but it had been hugely competitive uh, procurement. And we had had to 
demonstrate every general ledger package, every package in the general ledger a million times and, you know, payables, receivables, payroll, general ledger, job cost accounting, blah, 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 blah. And I go out and see the CEO of the, and we won, but we had to jump through all these hoops. And I go out and see the CEO a few months later, I forget exactly one time, and they're only running invoicing. They're only running billing. I said, Frank, what's going on? He goes, well, this is paying for the whole system. And I said, but you made us jump through these hoops, you know, time after time. For he goes, every piece of functionality yeah, that you're every not functionality, using. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> but this is what and I said, oh, got it. Okay. You don't have to do that on me many times. Right. And that that exists. So your job is to find out what that is. And now one of the ways you do that is is you know, this connection you build with people, you get this permission is, is you also have, you know, you're demonstrating, understand through your empathy with the individual and the situation they're in helps sort of reveal that, that information because in, you know, empathy is really, uh, saw somebody call it this recently, it's, you know, engaged curiosity, right? Because it's not enough to know how someone feels. I need to understand why they feel the way they do. Right, it's the why that gives me the information to say how can I help you. Just knowing how you feel doesn't give me many tools to problem yeah. solve for you. No, I get it. So one of the things talked about in in the book in the understanding chapter pillars, sort of this really important question which sellers forget to ask. They think they reach a level of understanding, but then they forget to ask the really important question. Don't give it all away. They got to buy the book, Andy. Oh, there's. Trust me, there's a lot in there. Okay, all right. <laughs> but yeah, here is is so as sellers, you're trained to you know ask questions and you basically reflect back to the buyer, you know, what they just told you, try to get the confirmation. But too often that just falls short, and especially if you haven't gone deep enough on your questioning. So there's a great question. I'll just my bonus tip for people is to, to throw out is once you think everybody's agreeing, yeah, you've summarized it perfectly. This is what we told you. You pause for a second and then you say, so what are we missing? We just agreed. This is it. So what are we missing? And that just opens the door to a deeper level of conversation and insight that you can help uh, learn from the buyer as well as provide to the buyer. So last pillar of the four pillars of selling in, generosity. People sort of say, well, how's generosity associated with sales? I think actually selling is sort of the ultimate act of generosity. Look at the definition I gave you before. Our job is to listen to the buyer. That's a generous act. Making someone feel understood is a generous act, right? So we listen to the buyer, understand what's most important to them. Yeah. That's a generous act. And then we help them get it. Generous act. Fantastic. So at just the way you describe selling, it's generosity. What you have to do, as I describe in the book, is you have to be very intentional about how you provide value to the buyer, how you help them make progress, uh, and how you get to the point once you've identified what's really important to them, how you co-create this vision of success for them. Because that is the ultimate ultimate goal, though. Because there is research that was done by Forrester, I think in 2012, something like that, that said that if you are the seller, then get the buyer to sign off first on, they call it the buying vision, the buying vision your odds of winning the business stand at 60%. Hey, as sellers, wouldn't we all take a 60% chance of winning a deal? Yeah. All the time, right? Absolutely. So 
what I lay out at the end of the book to sort of tie it all together is say, look, we're creating these positive buying experiences for our buyers. But there are certain milestones that if we achieve these milestones first, we will compress the decision cycle. And it's based upon uh, research, real life. What happens is, is that, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Herbert Simon. Herbert Simon was Nobel Prize winning psychologist, economist. I think he worked at Caltech. And he developed this back in the 50s, 60s, developed this idea. It's called bounded rationality. And he said, look, as humans, when we make decisions, we have three constraints. We have, don't have unlimited time. We don't have access to unlimited information. And we don't have perfect understanding of the information we have. So what we do is when we're trying to make a decision is we research until we find a solution to our problem that satisfies our requirements and suffices to enable us to hit our desired outcome. And so what Simon did is he created a, a new word called satisfice. Okay. So when we find a solution that satisfies, we make what he called the good enough decision. And that's right. what we do. Right. We make the good enough decision because we make the decision that, hmm, if the products are all basically somewhat identical, my marginal return on investing additional time to search for a better solution doesn't exist. So this is good enough. And so I describe in the book how you can get to good enough first. And as yeah. if you can do that, you will win a much higher fraction of your deals. Right. 60%. Yes. There you go. Or higher. Come on. No, that's perfect. Thank you, Andy, so much for coming in and dropping the knowledge. We know we've got several books that have already been purchased. Hey, thank you, people. Appreciate it. Out there. And so how do people get in touch with you? So uh, several ways. One, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, connect with me, message me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So a lot of uh, content. On Post LinkedIn, he's real Andy Paul. But if you look real up Andy, Andy Paul, Paul, you're going to find him. You're right? going to find the real Andy Paul, right? Yes. Um, you can come to my website at Joe's when scrolling, uh, andypaul.com. You can download a free chapter of the book there. We also have a, a fun quiz you could take, which is sort of a not a very scientific assessment of where you sit on the spectrum between selling out and selling in and your own selling. Nice. Um, and yeah, you can email me, andy at andypaul.com. Fantastic. And Cargo Margo, she's my other, my cohort in crime where she's she's on LinkedIn doing live shows as well and brings on people kind of uh -huh. so Hi, Margo. want to make sure she's here. So all right. Nice to meet you. Fantastic. So I'm gonna tell Margo, reach out to Andy, have him on your show. That'll Perfect. Work so but no, thank you so much. She she does love the uh, selling out and in concept. Sorry, I'm getting crazy on the clicks. Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. So fantastic. But no, I want to say thank you so much for investing your time in us and making no, sure that fun. we had a connection, curiosity, understanding, and the generosity yes. that was there. Jaime, do you have a question or not? I know you're you're not allowed to talk where you're at, but no, I my <laughs> boss was I work at a newspaper, I sell real estate and auction, and I'm trying to get him to learn. I said, Hey, how many of you other salespeople? need to learn how many of them train on a daily basis. And 
He's like, they better be trained, not on your customers. They should train before they <laughs> exactly. I wish You're they were training on your customer. That's my right. later. Make sure to buy them all a copy of the book. I will. Fantastic. Terrence Hall. No, thank you, right. Terrence. So, so she said you are connecting and she DM'd him. And you've been amazing per usual. So oh, thank you. And look, Tom, Tom thinks. Margo's great too. So now you got thumbs up. He loved what you said, bought the book. And he said, Margo's good Tom. transference of yep. rapport that we just got going on there. So fantastic. Uh, again, Andy, thank you. Jaime, thanks for joining in and, and pushing you, your to get people to actually pay attention and train. So, but um, thanks everybody. And as we end every show, I'm just going to throw it out there to you guys and say, um, go out and sell something. Thanks everybody. <laughs>